so my name is Dale, and um, this is not my day job, obviously. Um, I am an attorney. Uh, that's what I do for a living. Uh, I run a not-for-profit in Washington, D.C. Um, I've been practicing law uh, just a few years short of 30 years, so that'll kind of give away my age a little bit. Um, about <laughs> about uh, uh, 10 years into practicing law, uh, the Lord spoke to my heart and said he wanted me to go to Bible school. Um, kind of a shock. Uh, you can imagine, you know, my career is going fine, and um, I was here in Washington, D.C. at that time, too, and uh, working for a particular law firm, working on some pretty high-profile cases that if I mentioned to you, you would recognize the names. And uh, the Lord said, no, I, I want you to take up, pick up everything that you own and move to Tulsa, Oklahoma, and attend Rama Bible Training Center. Um, and uh, so I, I had always had a, a, a desire to go to Bible school. I went down a different road, a different path, but uh, the Lord knew my desire, and, and I didn't fight that, but uh, there were some obstacles, but I got there. So I attended Rama for the two-year program, and I remember sitting in um, Winter Bible Seminar, which is in February every year at Rama, my second year. I'm getting ready to graduate in May, and I'm thinking, Lord, what do you want me to do now? And I'm sitting there, and he says, I want you to do the third year program mission school. And I said, say what? Uh, Lord, uh, I'm not a missionary, and I have no desire to be a missionary. In fact, I grew up in the uh, a Pentecostal denomination, and we would have missionaries come in all the time, and I don't know People are old enough to remember the old slide projectors with the round cartridge, and they would just sit there and slide after slide. These are starving kids, you know, over in this country. And these are, and you would fall asleep during this. I was like, no, 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 that's not me, Lord. You've got the wrong guy. Um, but I submitted to that. Uh, he, he put that heavy on my heart. So I did the third year missions program, and I'm happy I did. Because as a result, God had put on my heart to go to Brazil. You have to do a six-week missions trip during that year. He had already put on my heart Brazil. Um, that summer, I went home to visit my parents here in Virginia. And lo and behold, my wife and her sister, who you've met here, Edma, and her husband, Darren, were home visiting. And they, Darren grew up in the church that my parents attended. So, um, so I just happened to be there the Sunday they were in town, and I started talking to Darren about Brazil, and we connected, and I said, the Lord's leading me there. And then um, through that, I got introduced to my wife, and um, shortly thereafter, we were engaged, and I flew down to Brazil, and we got married, and we have this lovely little girl here, Isabella. My wife's name is Elma. And I, I yeah, you can clap. <laughs> and I say that this morning because sometimes God asks us to do things. We don't quite understand why. It doesn't make sense to us. And you're not going to figure it out. He knows. And he has your best interest at heart. If you will follow him, and someone needs to hear this, if you will follow him and you will do what he's asked you to do, he's trying to get something good to you. He will prove that to you. And I have evidence sitting right here. Why don't, why don't we get into this and pray? Good morning, Father. We are delighted to be here in your presence. You're so good to us. We love you. Father, I ask that you would give me clarity of thought and speech so that I might communicate what you've given to me to speak today. Father, I ask that my friends here would have ears to hear what uh, you want them to hear, that their hearts would be receptive, and that uh, your will would be done in their lives. And we give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. By a show of hands, how many people here want to be closer to God? How many people want to be a friend of God? Okay, I'm in the right place, good. Uh, turn with me to James 4.8. 
All right, James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Who draw, draws near first? You do. That's right, you do. You can be as close to God as you desire. God is waiting on you. You can be as close to God as you desire. In fact, God passionately desires to be close to you. In fact, the word says in James 4, 5, the same chapter, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. He yearns jealously to fellowship with you. He yearns jealously to be close to you, to be a friend to you. When I was preparing this message, the Lord brought back to me a conversation uh, we had 20, 20 years ago when he brought me to D.C., this area, the first time. Um, I grew up in the Midwest, Indiana specifically. So you can imagine the culture shock coming to Washington, D.C. from the Midwest. Uh, wide open spaces in the Midwest, parking spaces, normal size. Yeah, Dave, Dave and Jody are shaking their heads coming from Michigan. They, they get it. So um, <clears throat> I move out here to take a job at a law firm, and um, I made the mistake of living in the district. <laughs> I don't know, anybody live in the district here? Yeah, okay, very smart people in this crowd. I lived in, no one warned me, came here, got an apartment up on Massachusetts Avenue uh, by American University, so way up on Mass. Uh, my firm was five miles away from my apartment. It took me 45 minutes every day to drive to work. Five miles, five miles. Took me 45 minutes every day on a good day. That's when the vice president wasn't leaving the residence up there at the Naval Observatory. Then it was just a nightmare. It could be hours to get to work. Um, and uh, in addition to that, you know, life in D.C. is hard. It's not as convenient. Um, you know, I lived in a nice uh, apartment up there, but um, uh, they have these register register heating and uh, air conditioning. And basically, they turn on the air conditioning when they're ready to at a particular date. It doesn't matter if it's 80 degrees outside, the heat is still on in May, right? Life is hard. I remember days um, coming home from work, and uh, not only did I have the commute, but uh, parking. You know, parking in D.C. is a commodity, right? Certain times of the day, you can park on this side of the street, and then, uh, you know, at a certain hour, you gotta move your car to the other side. Um, that kind of thing. I remember coming home days where I've done the 45-minute drive home. I get home, and I'm driving around the block looking for a space on the street to park just to go into my apartment. I mean, I remember one particular day, I had done that for 45 minutes straight. I just drove 45 minutes. I'm driving around the block 45 minutes, and I, <laughs> let me tell on myself, I stopped in the middle of the street and I banged on my steering wheel and I said, God, just kill me now. Just kill me now. I couldn't stand being here. That I'm here a second time is another testimony, maybe for another day. But anyway, as I was, um, I had a conversation with God three weeks into being here, and in fact, I had already canceled the movers. I was going to quit the firm and just leave because it just, it was misery. Um, so three weeks into this, the Lord spoke to me and said, don't run. Uh, I'm doing something. I have something for you. And I was like, but, Lord. Anyway, we had this conversation, and I was saying, why me, Lord? Why me? Why must I be here? But I want to read something to you that he reminded me about in preparing for this message because it applies to you equally, to you individually, to each one of you. Listen to what he told me, and I wrote it down, and I even have the date here that he spoke. The Lord answered me about midweek last week. He said, how do you think I felt? When I went from heaven, when there, there is no sin and my will is done all the time to earth, to be born into a sinful world, to be tempted, to feel pain, to be ridiculed and scorned and ultimately killed by those I created and loved so much. But if I did not go, you would not have been reconciled back to me. I could have sat back where it is easy, but you would have been lost. You are more important to me than my own pleasure. Can you imagine? Ultimately, my pain has brought me pure joy, a joy that I would not have known otherwise. I created you to be with me, and be with me you will. 
And then he went on to talk, likewise, I've sent you into darkness. And okay, he goes on to say something specific to me. But my point here is he passionately desires to be with you. He created you as an individual. He created you unique. He loves you. He loves your personalities. He loves your quirks, everything about you. He desires so much to be close to you, so passionately. That's why he created us for this fellowship. But no matter how much we desire to be close to God, no matter how much God desires to be close to us, we have to have a certain foundation, um, uh, like a condition precedent, a legal term, a, a certain uh, state of affairs before we can be close to God. And I want to start with a couple foundational scriptures that will kind of give us an idea of how we approach God, how we must approach God. If you could turn with me to Leviticus 10.3. Leviticus 10.3, And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Turn with me also to Psalm 89.7. Psalm 89.7 says, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. Feared? You might be saying right now, feared, and Jessica had to run out. Jessica spoke during the offering that the Bible indeed does say perfect love casts out all fear and that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Correct. That's not the kind of fear I'm talking about. That's, that's the fear that Jessica was saying during the offering that God does not want in your life because that uh, fear has to do with punishment. That fear has to do with, uh, an example, the fear of man, which will hold you back for the things that God has for you, the things that God wants you to do. Um, in fact, let me say right now, the fear of the Lord is not being scared of God. How can you be intimate with someone you're scared of? The fear of the Lord is not being scared of God, okay? Um, think of the children of Israel. When Moses led them out, God led them not first to the promised land. He led them to Mount Sinai, where Moses had encountered God and met with God, the burning bush, Mount Sinai. Why? Because God wanted them to meet the promiser before they got the promised land. God wanted fellowship with them. God wanted to be close with them. He wanted to come down on that mountain. He wanted to, look, I'm here. I delivered you. I love you so much. But as we read in the story, um, uh, Moses goes up to talk to God, and the Lord tells him, tell the people to consecrate themselves. I'm coming down, because I want to meet my children, the kids that I love. I brought them out of Egypt. I want to meet with them. So then what happens? On the third day, God comes down on the mountain. They all get scared. He started to speak, and they all got scared and ran away. And they said, Moses, Moses, we're going to die if we, hear, if we listen to this. Please, have God tell you what he wants, and then you can tell us. Why? Why, why? why were they scared of God? Because they still had too much of Egypt in them, sin and compromise in their life. They couldn't bear to hear what God was saying. That's not what God wants for us. Turn with me to Exodus 20.20, and I want to show you in the same passage that I'm describing, Moses distinguishes the being scared of God and the fear of the Lord. And he shows us also in this passage what the fear of the Lord, the purpose of the fear of the Lord. Exodus 20, 20. And Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you. What's the test? That his fear 
may be before you so that you may not sin. Sounds like Moses is speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Do not fear. The Lord has come to test you to see if his fear is in you. You see, being, fearing God is not being scared of God. The fear of the Lord is a, is a gift of love and protection from God. He has given us this to keep us safe. It is like a guardrail in our lives. You know, over the, uh, you know, every, every, every road has a ditch on each side. And um, um, human, humans, as, as they are, we have the propensity to, you know, get out of one ditch and kind of mosey on over and get in the other ditch. For about 40 years now in this country, um, there has been a revelation of God's love for us. His deep love, his passionate love. He desires to uh, 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 draw us to himself. And we needed that because um, uh, in a lot of ch churches, in a lot of places, we had fallen into legalism. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't have a tie on today. I don't have a coat. Um, uh, you know, a lot of places you couldn't preach unless you looked a certain way. You wore your hair a certain way. You dressed a certain way. You acted pious, and when I say the word God, I put emphasis on the way I say his name. He's not interested in that. That's outward. That's outward appearance. He's, that's not what he's about. He's about uh, getting a hold of your heart. He wants your heart. And, and over the past 40 years, we've had this wonderful revelation where we have discovered him as Abba, Father, Daddy. That's what Abba is in, in, in um in um, the original language, it, 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 it means daddy God, daddy father. Um, but the problem is we've gotten out of that legalism ditch and we've moved way over to the other side and gotten in the other ditch and we've gotten into lawlessness. There is no fear of God, you know? We've, Jesus is invisible to us right now. Paul admonished the Corinthians. He said, um, you know, you put up with anybody who comes and teaches you. You even put up if someone comes and preaches a different Jesus than the Jesus that the word talks about, that I've told you about. And here is the, herein lies the danger in our lives. We can make Jesus out to be whoever we want him to be. Jesus is okay if, you know, I'm Irish. I have a temper. God knows that. He's okay with that. You know, um, majority of people before they're married live together. God's okay with that. No, that's not the Jesus at the right hand of God. That's not the fear of the Lord. That's not what he commanded us. So he has given us the fear of the Lord as a guardrail, as protection. He's looking out for the best for us. I like what Oswald Chambers said. When we preach the love of God, there is a danger of forgetting that the Bible reveals not first the love of God, but the intense blazing holiness of God with his love at the center of that holiness. His love is at the center of that holiness. In fact, Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, how did he teach them to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, be thy name. When Jesus approached the Father, the first thing was he recognized who God was and where his place was. And that's the way that we have to approach God. We recognize. Now, I'm not talking about, oh, I'm a little uh, a mouse. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible, Lord. I'm a sinner. No, no, no. I'm not trying to get you to go there. That's, that's not where we're going today. Um, we look at Jesus' life. <clears throat> uh, he practiced the fear of God. Hebrews 5.7 says that God heard Jesus' prayers because of his godly fear. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus. Um, in Isaiah 11, he speaks of the one to come, Jesus. And he says that the fear of the Lord would be his delight. And in fact, the fear of the Lord is one of the seven manifestations of 
the Holy Spirit. So what is the fear of the Lord? To fear the Lord is to honor, respect, esteem, value, and reverence him above everyone and everything else. It's all about your heart. He wants your whole heart. What did Jesus, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment um, by the Pharisees, he answered, he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's, that's what it's about. It also says in Proverbs 22, 4, humility, humility is the fear of the Lord. Its wages are riches and honor and life. You read it in other translations, it says humility and the fear of the Lord lead to uh, riches, honor, and life. But the word and, if you look, is italicized. That was added by the editors. If you fear the Lord, you will be humble. Scripture says, what do you have that you have not been given? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? You know, um, you hear people quite often say, um, brag on God, you know, God's given me this ability, God's made me, you know, put me in this position. Really? Um, Jesus said, by their fruit you will know. Do you really believe that? And, and I'm definitely not preaching down to you because I'm about to unload a, a, a nice little example on you from my own life and fall on the sword. <laughs> the, the reason why I am speaking on this today. Uh, let's look at Deuteronomy 8, another example. So Moses is uh, talking to the children of Israel and preparing them for the promised land. Um, and, we'll, and we'll look at uh, verse 10. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God. I love this. I look at this all the time. In fact, I have this written down in, in, my, in my Bible. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. How often when times are good, when you know, there's no road bumps, and things are just churning along, you know, everything is, uh, the family's good, got good health, uh, making good money at your job. How many, how many times, how often do we drift away from um, what God would have for us, his best? How often do we forget him when times are good? You know, it, it happened, it, it, the, the potential is there to happen to us all. Um, I came to this message at the beginning of this year. Um, <clears throat> the Lord had been dealing with me over some things. And for a couple of months, uh, around the holidays, the end of last year, the beginning of this year. And in fact, and in, 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 in I knew inside, you know, Rama trained here, should know, right? Uh, that, oh, man, you got to tighten up a little bit here, uh, Inside, I thought, yeah, man, I'm, I'm out of control. And, and my job, you guys know, if you watch the news, you know politics, you know, it's, it's just uh, the cynicism, sarcasm, um, and that's no excuse, no, no excuse, uh, but certainly a reason. If you're not careful, if you're not alert, it'll wear on you. And then, and next thing you know, you find yourself complaining. And we all know complaining is a sin. And also um, uh, uh, talking negatively about people, tearing people down. It's wrong. I had some house guests over Christmas. 
<laughs> and I won't call them out, but uh, you know, we have people in our lives who rub us the wrong way. And I had a house guest who was acting up, um, and um, and I had a right to be upset about the conduct. And uh, but uh, what's my response going to be? That's what I have control of. So instead of just taking it to the Lord and doing what I knew to do, I complained. Uh, my wife had to endure this. I complained, uh, tore the person apart, was just, you know, just uh, uh, unruly with my mouth. Not to them, but behind their back. You know how we do it. Uh, we all know gossip is, is not godly. It's not right. So um, the end of January, um, I had this week where the bottom fell out. You know, with my job, everything's humming along fine. Uh, you know, um, everything that could be in place seemed to be in place. And then all of a sudden, this particular week, um, things started happening. Uh, people were not returning my calls. And I mean, people would say, I'm gonna call at this particular hour. I'm sitting by the phone, not call. Uh, and this is not usual. God's favor, God's grace uh, enables me to do what I do. Um, and so people weren't returning my calls. Things started falling through the cracks. I had a major project on day one of this hell week um, that um, um, was important to my organization that uh, another organization snaked me on. Um, and it just continued to cascade um, <laughs> I, I've talked to Dave about this one. Um, the, the very next day after that occurred, I took my car to the car wash, pay for a $40 car wash. I had taken a little CD case that I have about this big, and I always keep it beside my passenger seat, shoved in there, and then I thought, you know what, I'll shove it in a little further you know, so that they won't see it and nobody will try to lift it. Um, well, they moved my seat forward uh, to vacuum. And guess what happened? The seat went off the rails, broke the motor. On Monday, I took the car to uh, get, a, get an estimate, $3,500 to repair the seat. Um, the week just continued to spiral. And in fact, it got to the point, God's grace had lifted, and, and I'm sure he didn't lift it all, but he lifted enough that I felt the weight of my organization on me. I felt the weight of, oh, you gotta fund, how are you gonna come up with money? Oh, you gotta manage, oh, you gotta direct, you gotta have these projects. I felt the, he let me feel the weight. And I'm like, what is going on here? This, uh, this, this is, this, I literally sat at my desk and, and wept. I could feel, we have no idea the grace that he has on our lives every day to do what we do. We have no idea the depth of his grace. When he lifts it, not a pretty thing. In fact, I remember uh, Keith Moore, anybody familiar with Keith Moore? He tells a story where God did that to him uh, once for a week. And, you know, he's known for singing. He used to lead worship at uh, Rhema and uh, travel with Brother Hagen for years. And... God lifted the grace off of him. He couldn't sing a tune for an entire week. He could not sing. That's what he's known for. So uh, we have no idea the grace that God has on us. Anyway, about midweek of putting up with all this, I said, Lord, what's going on? And just so happened in my journal that day, there was a scripture at the top. And it's one we all know, Jeremiah 33.3. 3, Call to me and I will answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things that you do not know. And I said, okay, Lord, your word says, show me. Uh, put, a, put on your seatbelt. <laughs> uh, he led me to, the Holy Spirit led me to Psalm 50. Let's look at Psalm 50. And I know this message today is not like, hey, I wanted to bring like, you know, an ice cream sundae type message. <laughs> Instead, it's like a plate of vegetables. <laughs> but anyway, um, this is, uh, yeah, this is what he, he's uh, laid on my heart. Psalm 15, we'll start in verse 16. So I'm reading down Psalm 50. I'm like, okay, Lord, what does this have to do with uh, anything? Then I get to verse 16. But to the wicked person, God says, what right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? 
You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join with him. You throw in your lot with adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things, I kept silent. You thought I was exactly like you. But now I arraign you and set my accusations before you. And as a lawyer, that means a lot (laughs) to me in that regard. But consider this, you who forget God or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue. We've got to remember that because God has not dealt with our sin or our compromise, that doesn't mean it's okay, that he is, everything is still humming along, fine, uh, no hiccups, that he's okay with it. If he's spoken to you about it, dealt with you, you've got to deal with it. You know, people will say, God's been dealing with me for, you know, three months about this issue. Ha, ha, ha. You're bragging about your lack of fear of God. He's not trying to harm you. He's trying to help you. And I'll give you another personal example. Um, about 10 years ago, I'm a night owl. I love to stay up late. Uh, the Lord had spoken to me and said, you're not getting enough sleep. I was getting four to five hours sleep a night. And uh, he told me, I heard him, you're not getting enough sleep. You're compromising your immune system. You see, he has uh, built into you <laughs> uh, certain functions uh, that we can hamper, we can interfere with natural laws. And as a result, you will reap the consequences when he speaks to you about it. He spoke to me, and I was like, yeah, yeah, but this is just me. I like staying up late. Um, and I heard the word cancer. And I was like, cancer? I'm too young. Well, okay. Uh, within two years, I had this, um, <clears throat> what appeared to be just a pimple, here on the side of my nose. And it would come, then go away, come, then go away. And then it came and stayed. So I went to the doctor and got it checked out. And it uh, turned out it was basal cell carcinoma, cancer. I had suppressed my immune system and allowed. God didn't put this on me. That's not God's judgment. You see, these guardrails are to keep you out of the devil's territory. The devil is looking to destroy you. He's the one that God is trying to protect you from. He's the one that will tempt you to sin, and then once you do it, he will expose you and then ruin you. (laughs) God is trying to keep us on the right path. God is trying to protect us. Um. During that week that um, I was talking to God um, and and getting things straightened out in my life and repenting for being unruly with my tongue uh, and um, not following his prompting, at the end of that week, he had led me to a podcast by a by a a man by the name of John Bevere. Anybody familiar with John Bevere? And John Bevere, he led me to a podcast, um, and John Bevere was speaking on this very topic. And in fact, um, at that time, he was talking about a book that would come out in February of this year. And, um, and in, it's called The Awe of God, and I recommend it highly to anyone here. Um, if you're interested in what I'm talking about today and want to know more, uh, excellent book. Um, and, and when I found this, I said, that's it. And I spoke to my wife. That's it. That is what God's been trying to talk to me. That this is what he's showing me throughout this week, what he had been taking me uh, through. Um, he tells a, a story in this book that I think um, would be good for you to hear. Uh, back in the um, early 90s, he was called by are people familiar with Jim Baker. Uh, one time, Jim Baker had probably the largest ministry um, in probably the world, at least in the United States, well-known PTL club. Um, Jim Baker got caught up in some sin, and ultimately, he was prosecuted. It was that bad. It was criminal level. He was prosecuted and um, sent to federal prison. Uh, initially, for 45 years, they reduced it to five years. So. In his fourth year there, he read one of John Bevere's books, called John Bevere's assistant, said, will he come and meet with me? So Bevere goes to meet with him. In comes Jim Baker. 
they sit down. First thing that Jim Baker says, this was not God's judgment on my life. This was his mercy. Because if I would have continued to live the way I was living, I would have ended up in hell forever. Jim had, um, for those of you who don't know, um, he was convicted of mail fraud uh, in federal court, but then also he had fallen into adultery. He had uh, an affair with a particular woman. Um, So John and Jim are talking. And about 20 minutes in, Bevere feels comfortable. He says, so, at what point did you fall out of love with Jesus? At what point? And, and Baker looks at him and says, I didn't. He said, now wait a minute. You committed adultery in 1983, and you were convicted of mail fraud in 1990. There's a seven-year stretch you weren't living right. You're telling me that you didn't fall out of love with Jesus. And he said, that's right. I didn't fall out of love with Jesus. Instead, I did not fear God. And Jim went on to say that uh, there are millions of Americans that uh, are living the same way, even in the church. I say this to stress God doesn't want it to get there. None of us. He'd prefer that we correct these things before we end up in such a situation as that. But I began this story by talking about being close to God. I want to show you another benefit of being close to God. Psalm 25, 14. Psalm 25, 14, and I'm reading in the NIV first. The Lord confides, the Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. The Lord confides in those who fear him. I'm going to read this verse again in um, the English Standard Version, ESV. If you could put that up if you have it. This version says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And And he makes known to them his covenant. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. We can see two things from these verses. God confides, he tells his secrets to those who are close to him, to those who fear him. And also he reserves friendship for those who fear him. I mean, think about your own lives. Who do you confide in? Uh, You don't confide your secrets, and and there are good and bad secrets, but I'm talking about, you know, just uh, uh, details about your life. You You don't confide in everyone. You confide in your friends. God is no different. And um, I want to give you an example of this uh, from the Bible. Uh, Abraham. Let's look at the life of Abraham. Abraham, as we all know, um, was childless. Uh, He and his wife, Sarah, um, could not have a child. God comes along and he promises a child to Abraham. And they had to wait 25 years for the fulfillment of that promise, but God was faithful to his promise. So one night, God comes to Abraham, and he says, uh, Abraham, yes, Lord, I want you to take that child that I promised you that I said I would make a great nation out of you through, and I want you to take him to a certain mountain, and I want you to kill him. I want you to sacrifice him to me. Can you imagine what Abraham was thinking and feeling. Genesis 22, we'll, we'll pick up the story there. Genesis 22, 9. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord, and usually anytime the Bible uses the term the angel of the Lord, it's talking about God. It's likely talking about Jesus, the pre-incarnate Jesus. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear 
God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Why was Abraham a friend of God? Because he gave God his whole heart. He trusted God. God's will was the center of his will. Even though God had asked him to do something difficult, something he could not understand, Abraham did it anyway, trusting God. In fact, let me give you five evidences of the fear of God in your life. Number one, you obey God instantly. It says in the Bible that Abraham, when God had asked him the, um, that night to um, go to um, sacrifice Isaac, he arose early the next morning. I don't know if I could have done that. He rose early the next morning to get on his way. You obey God even when it doesn't make sense. Imagine that, like moving to Washington, D.C. <laughs> you obey God even if it hurts. You obey God even if you don't see a benefit. You obey God to completion. As a result of Abraham's friendship with God, God confided in Abraham. There's a story in the Bible where um, God, we believe, Jesus came down with two angels and visited Abraham and met with Abraham at his tent. And then he took Abraham over to uh, a cliff and um, the angels went on. And God said something very interesting. Should we hide what we're about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah from our friend Abraham? God revealed his secrets to Abraham because of their friendship. And God proceeded to tell Abraham, Abraham, um, I'm going to have to destroy these two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the sin that they've engaged in and the depravity. Well, Abraham's nephew, Lot, had moved to Sodom. So Abraham, uh, as a righteous man, desperate, says, well, now, okay, God, um, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Far be it from you to do such a thing. What if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom, in Gomorrah? Would you still destroy it? And God said, you know what? That's a good idea, Abraham. No, I won't. I won't destroy it if there are 50 righteous. Abraham speaks up again. Well, God, say there are only five less than 50, 45. Would you still destroy the city just because there's five left? And God said, no, Abraham. I won't. I won't. Abraham proceeds to negotiate with God all the way down to the 10. God, what if there are 10? 10 righteous in the city. Will you, will you withhold destruction from the city? And God said, I won't destroy it but for 10. And of course, you know, Abraham's probably thinking, let me see, Lot's one. There's got to be nine other people in these two cities. But sadly, there weren't. There weren't. In fact, when we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, um, the Bible says in the New Testament that they, they were planting and harvesting, eating and drinking, marrying, um, right up until the day of destruction. They had no idea it was coming. What's that in today's life? Everything is smooth. Everything is good. You know? And if there is a God, he doesn't mind our conduct. He doesn't mind what we're doing. He hasn't acted. He must be okay with it. What's even more terrifying? Lot, Abraham's nephew, who the Bible calls in the New Testament righteous. What's that in today's language? Saved, born again? He's 24 hours from destruction and he doesn't even know it. He doesn't even know. God has to send two angels to rescue Lot and his family, likely as a result of Abraham's prayers. Lot, originally, when he had moved to Sodom, he lived in the plains. He lived in a tent outside the city. But by the time we see the story of destruction, Lot had moved in inside the city and lived in a house inside the city. He had mixed in. 
He didn't know. Destruction was coming. Now let me take you to the New Testament. We'll wind this up. I want to show you um, Jesus speaking to the 11 on the night before his crucifixion, what he said. John 15. We'll start in verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now listen to this. You are my friends if, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. Does that sound familiar? He shares his secrets with his friends. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father. I have made known to you. Friendship with Jesus is conditional. Now, don't get me wrong today. Salvation is free. It's a gift. You don't earn it. It's free. But friendship with Jesus, an intimate relationship, intimate friendship with him is conditional. If you obey my commands, it comes down to obedience, doing what he's asked you to do, what he's commanded you. The best way to sum this up is uh, with more scripture, with God's word. Um, I began this message talking about how God longs to be close to you, that he passionately desires to be close to you. I want to read you this scripture again in a different uh, translation, actually a paraphrase, uh, and with more context. So James 4, and I'm going to start in verse 4, and this is the message paraphrase. It's heavy, I know, and I don't want you to leave here condemned. This is just a checkup and a reminder, a prod to do what he's asked you to do. You're cheating on God. If all you want is your own way, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and his way. And you... And do you suppose God doesn't care? The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. There it is again, humility. God gives grace to the willing humble. So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit the bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. As I started, you can be as close to God as you want to be. The decision is yours. You draw close. You make the decision. No matter how much he passionately, and I cannot stress that enough, how much he passionately desires to walk with you, to provide for you, to take care of you, to love on you, you make that decision. You decide how close you'll be to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Everybody could uh, stand. And if we could all um, bow our heads and close our eyes. You know, I've spoken today about being a friend of God, drawing near to God, um, God sharing his intimate secrets with you. But before you can even get there, you've got to turn your life over to him. And I want to extend an invitation today to anyone here anyone online watching, that if you've never made him Lord of your life, if you've never invited him into your heart, 
The Bible says, what, what does it mean to be saved? The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and God raised him from the dead, and you confess with your mouth that he is your Lord, that you want him, you confess that you want him, you ask him into your life. It says in the Bible, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever calls to him will be saved. If you've never done that today, I want to give you an opportunity. God passionately desires to take care of you. He passionately desires to be near you. Is there anyone here today who has never given their life to God, who desires to have that relationship that he passionately desires to have with you? Everyone's head bowed and eyes closed. Okay, let me speak to the believers here. As I mentioned earlier, there are things in life that come along that sometimes, uh, not, a, not an excuse, it's a, it's a reason if we're not careful, that draw us away, we compromise, we open the door. I want to extend an invitation to believers today because I want to, uh, not going to embarrass anyone, I want to pray. If there are areas of your life where God has spoken to you, and you have not yet answered. I want to pray for you today that you would have that grace, that he would enable you with that power. As I stated earlier, the fear of the Lord is one of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would enable you to make some of those corrections. <clears throat> is there anyone here today that you would raise your hand and say, yeah, I know, I've let some things creep in. Uh, there are some areas I need to uh, improve upon and uh, shore up, God's been speaking to me. Um, anyone here at all that would raise your hand and say, please pray for me that God would baptize me with this fear, that this fear of the Lord would increase in me, that I would be able to overcome these areas in my life. Okay, God sees those hands. Why don't we all pray together? If you want <clears throat> to repeat after me, and we'll all pray this. Father in heaven, I thank you that you love me, that you love me passionately, that you desire to be near me. I desire to be near you. I ask you now, Lord, to baptize me in the fear of the Lord. Help me, Lord, to repair the walls that have been broken down. I thank you, Lord, for your love. I thank you for the journey we are on. I look forward to serving you with my whole heart. I thank you for the grace to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.